Hey, what's going on everybody and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon and with me as always is Caleb and we are kicking off Stephen King month. We're going to be talking about misery today, but before we get to all that, Caleb, what have you been watching? I got sucked into video games this week. I was really bad. <gasps> I didn't, even though I had the time and the opportunity, I didn't... I didn't watch anything because of Helldivers 2. Rock. Dude, it has like... <laughs> it, it consumed your soul. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if anyone has any connection to the video game community, you've seen all the posts and commotion going on about this game. There's really nothing quite like it. And... um yeah, it just it just sucks you in. Like I was up until four AM one night playing. <laughs> so it's uh slightly addicting. And yeah, as far as stuff that I've watched, um, I was able to fit in this week's movie. Um, besides that, uh just a little bit of family guy before I crashed at the end of the night. So nothing really new there. Rock. So you'll you you can uh, continue to carry this part of the segment. Be the bell cow of this, okay? Yeah. Um, I got a fair amount of stuff, I guess, not a crazy bunch like I did last time, but the last time was also three weeks worth of stuff. Um, I finished the Goldbergs, and again, I forgot how abrupt that show ended. Um, the last episode is just like a normal episode until the last maybe two minutes. And they do like a montage of a bunch of stuff that's happened in the series, and then they do their goodbyes. That was pretty much it. As we go on, <laughs> we remember. Vitamin C. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 2000 much? Right. Uh, along with that, I watched an episode of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. I watched Trauma's War, <laughs> which was pretty interesting. Um, he actually had like Lloyd Kaufman on there. Uh, he was talking to him about like the making of the movie and all that. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. You might have to check out one of those one time. I'll, I'll let you know which ones like, cause he did one for sleepaway camp and had like Felissa Rose on there and interviewed her and everything. Hmm. So he's always got some interesting guests with like insight and he like knows everything there is to know about movies. It's crazy. But I also watched uh, Maniac Cop, which is like a slasher movie from the late 80s. Um, it's got Bruce Campbell in it and Tom Atkins. Uh, and he interviewed Bruce Campbell during it. It was pretty interesting. He talked about his career and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But uh, Other than those, I watched... Licensed to drive for like the millionth time, but this time I watched it with the director commentary, and there was a lot of interesting facts in that that the director shared and just like how the cast worked together and how it was like his first big movie that he ever directed. Okay. And yet it was like him and the writer of the script uh talking about it and just like issues that they had and like how both of the Corys like while they were like really talented, they didn't fully take their jobs as seriously as they could have. And like, it's like they weren't like super troublesome or anything. And they got good performances out of them. It was just like, if they would have taken it more serious, we could have probably did some less takes. 
Oh. And he just talked about how, like, the difference between them and Heather Graham and, like, how she was so innocent and it was, like, her first movie and they were just, like, they were the Corys. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to hear all that stuff. Uh, I also watched two Jalo movies. Uh, I watched Torso, which was kind of an inter- interesting movie. Um, it's much more of a slasher than um, some of the other ones I've seen. It's like from 1973. Uh, and being an Italian movie, like it's got a lot of like random nudity in it. It was, I don't know, almost distracting at times, but pretty solid movie all around. Then I watched uh, Dario Argento's opera. That one has some weird things in it. Like there's a raven that pecks out a dude's eye. And they show that pretty close up. And also you get Rick rolled during it. <laughs> Nice. I definitely was not expecting that. Like you could hear never gonna give you up in the background. Um yeah, didn't see that one coming. Uh and then I watched the de- latest WWE Legends biography. I always talk about these. Uh they did one on Randy Orton. And that one was a lot better than I thought it was gonna be. Like I'm not a huge Randy Orton fan, but he had an interesting story to share. And man, that's pretty much it, other than like a few ESPN 30 for 30s that I've seen a hundred times. Not really worth mentioning. Mm. But that's the end of my big list. Car- carrying you once again over the the goal I'm, line here. I know, dude. I keep thinking like, oh yeah, sports <laughs> sports is over. And then all of a sudden, like, they drop this huge game and I'm less like, okay, never mind. I'm not well, it helps it. too that like you know, I work from home and I put things on just in the background. So like a lot of the stuff that I watch or whatever, I don't really pay too close attention to. Mm-hmm. Where like that commentary for License to Drive was really more listening than watching. Because I've seen the movie so many times. So it was more like listening to a podcast. Right. But yeah. So I have more chances to watch more than you do. Right. That you suck, so. I do There's suck. that as well. But you know what doesn't suck is the movie Misery. And we can kick off Stephen King month. So let's jump in. Misery it is from 1990 and is directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, the plot is... After a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Of the cast, we got James Caan as Paul Sheldon, Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes, Richard Farnsworth as Buster, Francis Sternhagen as Virginia, and Lauren Bacall as Marcia Sindel. Rock. Uh, yeah, this is a movie I've seen quite a few times. Um, it's actually one I watched. I think the last time I watched it might have been two years ago. Uh, I watched it with my wife, and it was her first time watching it. Okay. And she really enjoyed it. So, yeah. I don't, I don't know if my wife has seen this one. Uh, how many times have you seen it? Um, all the way through. I feel like this is a. Th- third time um i know that i've seen 
certain scenes quite a few other times you know kind got parts of it and everything so but uh it is it had been a while and so it was kind of surprising about just like how simple and minimal this movie is and yeah. yet so much happens in what an hour and 40 minutes or whatnot yeah it's kind of a slow burn but there's enough to keep you interested in and it kind of piggybacks good off from um character study month mm-hmm. because there is like that things like escalate <laughs> and you know annie gets crazier and crazier as it goes on but it's kind of funny how i got my wife to watch this the one time like she's usually not opposed to watching most things and i kind of know like what i can have her watch and she'll enjoy and other things that she's like this is dumb <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we were watching The Office, and remember how Kathy Bates was on like some of the later seasons? Oh yeah, totally. And she's like, I, she's like, oh, I always like Kathy Bates. She's a really good actress. And I was like, you ever seen Misery? And she said, no. I was like, well, we're gonna watch that. <laughs> now you're gonna. <laughs> it's like it's probably one of her best performances. But yeah. yeah, that's probably probably the biggest takeaway from this movie is her performance in this. Hmm. Because she was amazing in it. I mean, she was won an Academy Award. Yeah, for right best place, actress. Huh? Yeah. Um. And I mean, working with James Caan, which James Caan is always really good in everything he's in. I like. I don't feel like he ever really fully phoned things in. He's always got kind of that, like, kind of laid back. Um, demeanor, I guess. Even in movies like Elf. Yeah. But it, that was just kind of like his acting style and his persona. And I feel like he's a little overshadowed in this movie because he did, did such a good job as well. But Kathy Bates just like just blows up everything she's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, is this Kathy Bates' first major role or um, successful movie? I think maybe it was really early in her career. Yeah, because I mean, she was a stage actor for years. Mm-hmm. It shows that she had done things since like 1970, basically. So she'd been doing stuff for 20 years. I'm not seeing anything, to my knowledge at least, that really turns any heads. Yeah. Before this. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like. She, this performance really put her on the map. Yeah, she did this, and then like eight years later, she was Mama and the Water Boy. Right. <laughs> she's one of those actresses that shows up in like a fair amount of things, but she's always really good, even in The Office. Like she kind of a a decent sized role for what maybe like two seasons, mm-hmm. but she was great in it. Yeah, it just like you know her. Because I feel like she's a very versatile actress where, you know, she can do a a suspense thriller movie like this, but also can do comedy. You know, like mm-hmm. I mentioned, The Waterboy and like um, The Office and things like that. Oh, my where, word. I forgot she was in Rat Race. <laughs> dude, she's been in tons of stuff. Uh, always, always great, though. 
for sure. Um, and it's such a small cast, but I feel like everybody within this cast was pretty solid. Because even Richard Farnsworth is the sheriff, like the small local sheriff. Uh, he was pretty good too, and I guess I didn't realize like how competent he was in this movie. Because I always remember him kind of being like the bumbling sheriff, but like he was kind of on top of things. It took him a little while to piece stuff together, but he didn't really have too much to work with. Yeah, but there once some... he like once he like started um down the trail of figuring it out, and then he was like right on top of it. Hmm. Once um, he, he was able to starting start piecing things together, but also at the same time, and I'll bring it up kind of throughout, there were just kind of some things were just, well, that's not standard police protocol. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a thing. But yeah, I, so it was a little bit interesting since it'd been a while since I watched it because I, I mean, most of your memory from this movie, if you have seen it before, is going to be basically everything that's happening in uh, Annie Wilkes' cabin. Mm-hmm. And so I forgot how much actually took place outside of it. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, Buster, the sheriff, was the main element outside of that, so... And uh, he did a pretty good job. His wife, uh, the character Virginia, his wife and deputy and assistant was uh, pretty funny. I swear I know her from something else, but I cannot put my (laughs) finger on it. I think she just has one of those recognizable faces. Yeah. I don't know, because I thought that too. Yeah, she had some funny moments too. Like when you're first introduced to her, like him and her driving down the road and she's like rubbing his leg. (laughs) And it, she's kind of a horn dog almost. And like this lady's like in her sixties. Yeah. And yeah. he and said, Hey, you're my deputy. Yeah, he's like, when we're on the job, you're my deputy, not my wife. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, that, that cracks me up. Um man, I feel like another kind of underrated thing in this movie is the scenery. Just like the location where it's shot at. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supposed to take place in Colorado. Whether or not they shot in Colorado, I didn't take the time to look into that. But um, just even like the shots of like outside of Annie's window, like you got mountains and all that kind of stuff, and like the snow everywhere. Uh, well, I mean, just in general, with not just the scenery, but how the movie shot, because when you stop and you think about how minimal this movie is. Mm-hmm they really had to do a lot with very little. Yeah. Um, and you can actually notice throughout the movie when the mood of the film changes and, you know, the music changes, the camera's angle change, the camera angles change in uh, different elements like that. So even though you're in a very confined space and, Honestly, not a lot is happening. They still make it. I don't know. I don't know if I would say chaotic or what, but there's a lot still going on with very few elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I was gonna say the amount of locations in this is like kind of similar to the the number of locations that were in the room, right? 
like there's really only a handful aside from the couple times where she goes into town mm-hmm. but um i guess we can kind of get into this part um there's a couple things in this that one thing it always throws me off every time I watch this is that when it starts out, it shows the Castle Rock Entertainment logo. And like, okay, I know this is done by Rob Reiner, but every time I see that logo, I just immediately think of Seinfeld. Nice. Uh, and their jingle with the um, lighthouse. But yeah, that always kind of like throws me off a little bit. Um, there's some kind of funny things. Like, I feel like this movie is kind of subtle with character building at times like where we see Paul finishing his novel at the small hotel or whatever it was or bed and breakfast or something and uh, he's like cleaning off his car and getting ready to leave and he grabs a snowball and throws it at a tree and, it, like, and then he's like I still got it yeah <laughs> like that kind of made me laugh because that's totally something I do <laughs> <laughs> like anytime it snows I'm cleaning my car off I always end up making a snowball and throwing it at something yeah, it's so funny because that happened. I was like, oh, look, he's relatable. <laughs> he throws snowballs too. I do that. Exactly. And then soon after that, like he's like bombing down the road in a Mustang. And I'm like, okay, dude. I was like, I'm from Michigan. I was like, maybe you're driving a little too flat, like fast in a snow covered road. Like yeah. on a mountain <laughs> with no guardrails in a rear wheel drive car. <laughs> It makes me think of what Dwight from the office says um, about Michael's car. He's just like, that That car is such a poor choice for this climate. Yes. Or whatever, some kind of snide comment like that. Because yeah, like, Michael's got the convertible. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's, who's going to drive up in the mountains with a freaking Mustang? Oh, man. I couldn't. Dude, drive. I could imagine doing that with a standard vehicle, but a Mustang, dude, I'd be like pooping my pants. Right. And he's driving like 50 miles an hour around the curves too. <laughs> Smart idea. And of course he crashes. Shocker. It was it was actually Nicolas Cage from Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> it was Paul Walker. Fast and Furious. <laughs> uh, Dom would have just drove on top of the snow. Because the power of family. Our family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then he gets pulled from the car. And we don't see who did it. And it's like, they do CPR on him. And I was like, this is very weak CPR. (laughs) As someone who's taken a BLS class, you know, basic um, life-saving. Basic listening skills. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, I've taken a CPR class. Yeah. at work before and mm. i'm like i'm not sure those co- those chest compressions would do anything and the amount of breaths that they're taking in like that wasn't very deep breaths <laughs> like i don't know nitpicky thing mm. and then like um she pulls him from the car i was like okay james con like how much does james con weigh like he's a taller dude um, he's, he's he's taller than six foot i was like my guess Maybe weighs 180 pounds. Well, dude, she throws they... she throws him up in a fireman's carry, and carries him up a snowy hill. I was like, I was like, who is Annie Wilkes? Is she freaking Brock Lesnar? <laughs> dude, she she did it again too when she put him in the basement towards the end of the yeah. movie. 
Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a full grown man. I'm not sure I could throw James Conn up on my shoulders and carry him up a hill. Mm-hmm. But, that's uh, that's pig farmer strength right there. <laughs> <laughs> Corn fed. <laughs> yeah, the pig that she named Misery after Paul's character in his book. Ah, yeah. And so he like wakes up there and his legs are all jacked up and they show him and that's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Um and then um uh, <laughs> had this is like I just love how low key of an asshole Paul kind of is at the beginning. That like how he's kind of annoyed with some of the stuff she's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this is even before like he finds out that she's nuts. Right. Yeah, well, then, then, then like, he once totally... he finds out she does, he's like, oh. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. There's a, there's a couple exchanges in this movie, too, that's going to throw me off. Because she like, reads his latest book. She's like, it's better than perfect. It's divine. <laughs> and he just like, was, all right, okay, that's a weird reaction. And then she's like, it's this. And she's like, what was the ceiling that Dago painted? <laughs> I'm like okay, we're gonna drop a freaking ethics slur in this. <laughs> and I was like, how do you not know it's a Sistine Chapel? Oh man! Uh, and my my six year old. Um, do you watch this movie with you? No, I'm just kidding. no. My soon to be six year old. Um, she even knows that Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. Nice. <laughs> so it's like just drop an ethics slur. But, um, yeah, that one kind of caught me off guard. And like the many times I've seen this, I forgot about that. Uh, then, you know, as this movie goes on, we got to talk. It's like a bit of a character study mm-hmm. because we find out more things about her as we go. Like how she was married at one point and they have that really awkward conversation. And it's really awkward because he's pissing in a jug <laughs> under yeah. a blanket at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and then around that time where you were just talking about um, uh, her reaction to how good his writing was. Yeah. uh, She slips in, I love you, Paul. Yeah. And it's just like, and and so this is like the, the turning point where he's kind of like, okay, like something's not right here. And I was just like, huge red flag. Like, she she rebounds by being like, I love you, Paul. I mean, I love your work and the writing that you do and something. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's like a non-committed boyfriend <laughs> trying to try to um, deflect that. Like, I love spending time with you. Yeah. It's uh, like Ross. Yes. Well, where do, where do you see us? I'll make fajitas. That has nothing to do with that, but I always think about that with Ross. <laughs> oh man! And then Suji freaks out because she finds out that Misery is dying. Oh man! In the book that the last book Paul wrote, that she like makes him write a new one. Oh, just total freak out! Like I don't know. I'm not sure if it went through 
my mind completely the very first time I watched this movie. But this time I was just watching maybe more closely and trying to let it sink in on being like, could you imagine being completely helpless and realizing that the only person with you is utterly crazy? Yeah. Yeah. How um, awful would that be? Oh man. Like I, Oh, like I'm depending bit. on this person to, to make me heal up and take care of me. But they're also a person that could kill me at any minute. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I can't, I didn't write it down specifically in order, but it goes from, okay, this lady's weird. Okay. This lady is totally crazy to, oh my gosh, she, I think it went from crazy to, oh my gosh, she has a gun yeah, or something to that degree. And I'm just like, Ah, like well, she builds up to that a little bit too because you know she freaks out. She grabs that end table and comes mm, comes towards yeah. him, and he thinks that she's gonna hit him, and she smashes it on the wall above him. Mm. That's when she finds out that misery is dying. So and then she drops that nobody knows that you're here kind of line. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, it's like and, that's unnerving, and that's when he like climbs out of bed, and. I just like that was a another shot of James Conn's acting being amazing in this, just because of like the physical acting of it. When he pulls his legs out of bed and they hit the floor and he just like writhes and screams, yeah, like that that makes me wince and like mm-hmm. I'm just watching a movie. Yeah, I mean we've all had some crazy exes, but. I don't know if we had anything quite that bad. Uh, no, not anything that bad. Um, well, she one... throws a few Bible verse or Bible lines in there too, like religious stuff too. I'm like, okay, so we're gonna go with that dimension as well. Oh man, there were so many layers to this. Yeah. Um, not to get too far ahead, but she has several rants i guess you you might say it and i think one that always sticks out to me is her rant about the uh movie shows that she watched as a kid yeah the serials yeah Yeah. and she talks about getting up in the theater and being like no we're getting cheated that's not what happened. This isn't fair. It's not fair. And she like, dude, her rants. He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. Oh my gosh, cock-a-doody. Yeah. Her, her rants, I mean, I, I, if she did not win for this, I would be, I would want to see what everyone else did in comparison to this performance because those rants are just next level oh yeah so believable like you see this and you're just like holy smokes kathy bates is nuts Mm -hmm. so yeah though one of the scenes too where she's slowly building up to being like dangerous and you you talked about her all of a sudden boom she's got a gun is when she makes him burn the book Mm -hmm. and she's got talking and she's like dousing him in lighter fluid 
Yeah. Like it's a natural thing. And it's like she makes it almost look like it's an accident, but at the same time, it's more of like a threat. Yeah. Like you don't really have a choice. You burn this book or I burn you kind of thing. Oh. Yeah, that wouldn't really caught me this time. Like I've always noticed it, but this time it kind of sunk with me more. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, then she makes him write another another book. She gets the typewriter for him in the wrong paper, and then she freaks out again over it. Yeah, because <laughs> he tells her like you can't type with this paper; it smears. And he shows her, and then she freaks out. Mm. Yeah, which leads to one of my most memorable and favorite scenes is so she leaves to go get the other paper and then he uses a bobby pin to pick the lock on the door and he goes like exploring around the house and he finds a telephone and he starts dialing and realizes it's not doing anything and it's just like an empty shell and it cracked me up because he like looks at it and he like says crazy bitch (laughs) like sets it down (laughs) Oh man. But the tension in that scene is just awesome because she's already had the blow up, so he knows like I gotta get the hell out of here. This woman's nuts and she's gonna kill me. Um and he's like trying to find a way to like get some contact with the outside world or let somebody know that he's there. And um like boom, like he hears her car start coming back and that's when it gets like really gut-wrenching oh yeah because he's like trying to hurry and he always got the busted up legs he's in a wheelchair um his one shoulder isn't even back to full strength and like somehow he finally makes it back and then like he's super sweaty and then like he claims it's because he needs his pills kind of thing so she kind of um feels awful for him and everything like that yeah Talking about gut wrenching and everything, one thing I'd forgotten from previous views was his attempt to drug her. Yeah. And how that failed. Yeah. And when that happened, I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. His to, face is like agonizing. To be right there and have that happen. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. And she makes meatloaf that has spam mixed in it (laughs) and and not in tomatoes that were not canned yeah they're fresh Hmm. oh my gosh yeah but this like the complete and like the spare on his face so that she knocks over that wine Mm. that he drugged oh man uh, it's right around this time too, where you know I said that the the sheriff was kind of on top of things. Once he started piecing it together, they pull Paul's car up, and like the the state police or something like that, or the ranger was just like he's presumed dead. Um, we know that he got out of the car, but he could be laying somewhere under the snow, and we won't know until the thaw. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. And I'm like, you can't use dogs to find him. And then also the the local podunk old man sheriff is the only one that notices that there's crowbar dents on the door. Right. Yeah. So it's he's like and his wife's like, You don't think he's dead, is he? Or do you? And he's like, Well, there's these dents here on the door. It's like somebody pried that open. 
Dun, dun, dun. So, so this is where one of my first big questions come in where it's like, okay, fine. Like go along with the movie. But it's like at that point when you have located the car and mm-hmm. you know that he got out apparently with the help of someone else, wouldn't you just start going to people's houses <laughs> and start asking questions? Yeah. Especially in such a small town. Right. Like they flew over in the helicopter and we're just like, oh, there's that farm. Oh, there's that place. So it's just like there's a hand, at least a handful of places here around that area. So you could just go and ask people and be like, what have you seen? Blah, blah, blah. But no, his police skills are lacking, I guess. Well, his his first thing to do is to go and buy all the Paul Sheldon books and read them. Read them in bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's going through reading all the misery books. But he doesn't really get like more information until he goes to like, the um, the general store. Mm-hmm. And I have to mention, too, that the guy is restocking his VHS tapes. Oh, nice. <laughs> that made me laugh. Um, and that guy tells him, like, oh have you heard about Paul Sheldon kind of thing? And he starts asking questions about Annie and he's like, yeah, uh, she makes sure that she gets the first copy of every book of his that comes in. He's like, and lately she's bought paper and a typewriter. And then that's when the sheriff's like, huh? And like, he like rushes out of this, out of the <laughs> store. And that's when he goes to Annie's house. But, um, also, another bad um, move on his part, p- poor police skills, is not telling anyone where he's going and not yes. taking anyone with him. Yes, exactly. No backup. And also, before we get to all that, we get like a writing montage with Paul on the typewriter. Um, and we get that weird night where it's raining and Annie like has a weird meltdown kind of thing. Mm-hmm, where she's like gun. super bummed out and then she's got the gun and she talks about wanting to put bullets in it and everything. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and then she takes off and then he goes back out in the house and then he like finds those newspaper clippings about her, like news about her and the baby's dying? Like, yeah, baby's dying and all that kind of stuff. And like then her husband died or something like that. I don't, I don't remember about the husband, but yeah, there, the, I did not understand the details. Disgrace about the nurse or something like that. It said, yeah, angel of death or something. They yeah. called her. Yeah. And it was just messed up stuff. And that's what he like, totally knows what he's working with here. Mm. Um, and he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's standing over him which is terrifying. And she injects him with something. He passes out, comes in the morning. And then she like tells him like, I know you've been getting out because the penguin figurine always faces due South. <laughs> and he knocked it over in the earlier scene and put it back and it was facing North. Mm. Yeah. And then we get the hobbling scene. Oh my gosh. Which is probably one of the most famous parts of this movie. Um, She gets a wood, block and puts between his ankles and smashes his feet with a sledgehammer and like it just wraps around the board yeah that first the God. first one when they show it it's just yeah. like Ooh. oh my gosh I, yeah. I can't 
Oh, I can't imagine, dude. Yeah. And then that's when the sheriff shows up. She sees the sheriff coming and she injects Paul again. Um, and then she puts him in the basement. Like he's like we talked about how she has a superhuman strength. Uh, the <laughs> sheriff comes and talks to her and like she explains the way the paper and a typewriter is like she was distraught about hearing about Paul. And then she said that God spoke to her or whatever and said that you need to take his place. So now she's trying to write. She's like, I can't do it. I'm not as good as him. Blah, 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 blah. And this is where we see like how manipulative she is. And -hmm. like doing all that, like she kind of lowers the sheriff's defenses. And he's like still looking around trying to find where Paul's at. And he, he leaves. And then Paul starts making noise in the basement by knocking a grill over. The sheriff comes back in. He runs to the the door where um they goes in the basement and he's like mr sheldon and all of a sudden annie just like shoots him with a shotgun like right through his back blows a hole through his chest yeah it kills him again great police work there (laughs) um yeah shouldn't he like ran in and like put her in cuffs yeah, he like located her instantly and told her like get on the ground, put her in cuffs, and then go and try to figure out the noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like that would have been smarter. Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, if if you think that the dude might still be alive, and you're going to someone's house, and like she has not reported him alive, she's not done anything so many red flags where it's just like something's not right you don't just waltz in there by yourself and be like hey what's going on yeah i heard a noise boom it's the last thing you heard Mm -hmm. oh man and then soon like you know annie realizes okay i killed the sheriff people were going to be looking for him and like this got to come to an end yeah so she tells Paul her plan, like how she always fell in love with his writing. And now she fell in love with the man and everything that goes with him. And we need to be together forever kind of thing. So I'm going to, I got my gun. I'm going to put two bullets in it. One for you, one for me. And we can be together forever. And he pleads with her that he can't go until he finishes his book. And that way they can put misery, to, like, her finalized story or whatever. Uh, yeah, of course she agrees to that. or whatnot. Yeah, of course she agrees to that because she's obsessed with his books. And um, then, you know, he finishes it and he asks for his normal stuff, you know, his, his Don Perignon and um, one cigarette. cigarette and a match. And when she takes off, like, he's got the lighter fluid that he grabbed in the basement and he douses the book. And then she comes in and, like, he lights the match and sets it on fire. She goes to like put the fire out and he bashes her in the head with the typewriter. Yeah. How, how they logically try to make it like no big deal that she just got hit with like a 50 pound typewriter in the head. Just like crazy, blows my mind. Crazy strength. <laughs> then they have a fight and like he gouges her eyes out and breaks, he does like a palm strike to her nose and breaks her nose and then she shoots him. Mm-hmm. He tackles her, and then I love the part where he's he grabs like the burnt remains of the book, and he and he's like he's like eat it, 
eat it till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. <laughs> oh, man. That's so great. And she, like, overpowers him again, and then she tries to run at him and hit him with something, and he trips her. And she falls face first on the typewriter and knocks herself out. And you think it's over. Yeah, and you think it's over. And then um, she comes after him again, and he bashes her in the head with, like, a heavy door stop thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if that was me, and I was in that situation, and like she already got up from getting hit in the head with a typewriter, and then falling face first on a typewriter, I was like, I'd probably take that doorstop thing and bash your head until I saw brains. Yeah, you <laughs> just to you... be like certain. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Uh, one thing that we kind of glazed over that I had down in my notes that I forgot to mention was. One of the funniest parts, though, um, it was right before I think the sheriff came to investigate. Um, he's sitting by the window. It was after she hobbled him, and mm-hmm. he was sitting by the window. And she comes back from town, and she's outside with the pig, and she like waves at him, and he just flips her off. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, that's a classic. <laughs> It's just like, I hate you. You should just shoot me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. And then now we get like 18 months later and he's like walking down the street with the cane and he's talking to his publicist or whatever about his latest book and how the critics are really going to like it and everything. And she's like, you should write a book about what happened with you and Annie. And, you know, he doesn't really want to do that. And he, like, envisions the waitress as Annie. And then, of course, she says, "You're, I'm your number one fan. Oh, gosh. And, you know, he, like, died inside. And just... <laughs> Dude, I, like, I don't, I don't even know how, uh, like, there are certain things in life that I don't know and understand how people could move on from. And if there was some real experience like that, like, I don't, I don't even know, dude. Yeah. The nightmares, the night terrors, the, uh, probably never drive anywhere ever again. Yeah. (laughs) I know I probably wouldn't. Mm -mm. Oh, geez. Um, anything else? You want me to get into trivia and facts? Uh, yeah, we can move on to. Trivia facts. Rock. I have a few things here. So Stephen King was quite impressed with Kathy Bates' performance in the film, so much that he later wrote two more roles for her. Uh, the title role in his novel, Doris Claiborne, was written for Kathy Bates in mind, and Bates later starred in the film adaptation of um, that book, Doris Claiborne. Um, he also wrote the script for the TV miniseries The Stand in 1994. His original novel featured a male character named Ray Flowers. Upon hearing that Bates wanted to be involved in the miniseries, he rewrote the part for a woman. Um, spelled R-A-E Flowers. Just so Bates could play the part. And it was uncredited. Rock. Yeah. Uh, James Kahn once showed up to the set hungover. And all the scenes he shot that day were unusable. Rob Reiner told Khan 
that he had to do the scenes again because there was a problem with the lab. Uh, when Khan learned that it had nothing to do with the labs, uh, he offered to cover the money that he lost the studio. Hmm. So it's funny you tagged me in <laughs> a picture today of Kathy Bates and um, Jack Nicholson from The Shining. Right. <laughs> if you had a typewriter. Because Jack Nicholson was offered the role of Paul Sheldon. Okay. But he passed on it because he was um, not sure he wanted to do another movie based on a Stephen King novel after what he experienced with Stanley Kubrick and The Shining. And if you know anything about The Shining and Stanley Kubrick is that Stanley Kubrick was kind of a dick and he's <laughs> nuts. Yeah, and he was super anal about that movie. So pretty much everybody had a terrible experience with that movie. No. Uh, so one of Stephen King's first typewriters actually had a malfunctioning N key, just like this one. Um, in the novel, the typewriter also drops its T's and E keys. Uh, those two letters are second and first most commonly used letters in the English language, making job, uh, Paul's job even tougher. Hmm. So James Kahn had to stay in bed for 15 weeks of shooting. Khan said he thought that Rob Reiner was playing a sadistic joke on him, um, knowing the actor would not and would not enjoy not moving around for so long. Um, Khan was not used to playing a reactionary character and found it much tougher to play. Okay. So James Khan and Kathy Bates um, clashed over their acting methods. Uh, Khan believed in a little rehearsal as possible. Bates, with her theater background, was used to practicing a lot. When she commented to Rob Reiner that Khan was not attempting to relate or listen to her, Reiner told her to use that frustration towards the character. Yeah, I was going to say, that that's totally where my mind went to as well. Yeah. Use it! <laughs> uh, Stephen King was initially reluctant to sell the film rights to Misery because he was skeptical that a Hollywood studio would make a movie faithful to his vision. Um, however, King was impressed with one adaptation of his works, which was Stand By Me, and he agreed to sell Misery under the um, proviso that Rob Reiner would either produce or direct the film. Because hmm. he also produced Stand By Me, or directed, I mean, Stand By Me. Wow. So, according to William Goldman's book, uh, Forest Screenplays, the role of Paul Sheldon was offered to Warren Beatty, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Richard Dreyfus, Harrison Ford, Morgan Freeman, uh, Mel Gibson, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Al Pacino, Robert Redford, Denzel Washington, and Bruce Willis, all of whom declined. Willis, however, would later play the role of Paul Sheldon years later on the Broadway adaptation of Misery. Really, all those people declined. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, James Conn was great in it, but could you imagine, um, like Harrison Ford or Denzel? Even <laughs> it's interesting that they would have made Paul Sheldon a black man because I mean, they had Morgan Freeman offered too, but both of those also would have been great choices. Mm-hmm. That would have been or Gene Hackman. It well, it just kind of surprises me a little bit that. 
James Kahn was all the way down that line. Yeah. Because, I mean, he he already, compared to Kathy Bates, was well-established by this point. Yeah, it was in The Godfather. Yeah, 1972. So, like, almost 20 years before this, he was already, you know, doing big titles. So. Brian's song. Dude, I forgot he died. Yeah, he did not too long ago. Yeah, back in 2022. Yeah. Way to to be a downer. Uh, So James Caan's fake legs were molded out of gelatin. Armatures with wire were inserted inserted into the prosthetic ankles so that when Annie hit them with a sledgehammer that they would bend around of the desired gruesome ankles. Um, there were holes cut into the mattress so that Khan could put his real legs uh, up to the knee inside. Hmm. Uh, in the novel, Annie cuts off Paul's foot to prevent him from escaping. Um, the screenwriter, William Goldman, had stated that the reason he decided to adapt the book to film was because of the gruesome scene and that the effect would have on the audience. However, Rob Reiner and... Um, Andrew Scheinman's script revision changed that um, method of torture to Paul getting his ankles broken with the sledgehammer. Goldman was opposed to the change until viewing the film. Yeah. yeah I can I imagine, could... like, hacking his foot off. Yeah. That... I... Just in the bare-bones, high-level view of it, I think the breaking is a lot better because... Yeah, I mean, that just takes the insanity level so much further. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then it, she had, like, the whole backstory about the diamond mines and all that stuff. hmm Yeah, that was, it just added a different dimension. Uh, and the last thing I got is this movie cost $20 million, and it made 61 in the box office. Rotten. Now grades. IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, what are they? Well, I always hate it because I use IMDb so much. Uh, I <laughs> did stumble across this one. Uh, so it's a 7.8, isn't it? It is a 7.8. I'm a little surprised that it didn't reach uh, 8 or higher. Yeah, I would give it like an 8.5. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, Ron Tomato Critic, 80, no, yeah, 89%. 91. Oh. Um, audience, 88? 90. Dang it. Yeah, high ratings. Uh, what's yours? Uh, Man, um, it sucked. Give it a two. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Kathy Bates sucks. Dude, I, didn't I just like any of that. <laughs> Big fat phony. <laughs> um, I have a hard time not giving this a five because, um, it just. The amount of emotion and how much they're able to pull you in with 
uh, minimal cast, minimal setting, and they just make it so grueling and intense. The -hmm. performances by James Caan and Kathy Bates, just phenomenal. Um, there, There are plenty of things that are kind of like just elements of this movie that I guess maybe you'd say don't really shine. Like the soundtrack I've, uh, was good. I don't feel like it was anything too special. Um, the supporting members in the movie, I mean, the sheriff did a did a good job. Uh, there weren't a ton of supporting characters, but nobody did bad, but nobody else really did a fantastic job. But so much of this movie was just those two. Uh, mm-hmm. Kathy Bates and James Caan, and they both knocked it out of the park. So it it really hits home, and it really is super disturbing. So I I give it a five out of five. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I really can't give it anything less than a five, just because of you know the the two main actors doing such great jobs in it um the pacing of the movie because it is a slower burn movie but there's enough to keep you interested and enough like ramps up towards mm-hmm. the end um and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the acting especially from kathy bates um i think it was directed extremely well too i mean i like like all rob reiner movies i don't think i've ever seen one of his that i didn't like uh, even ones that, you know, were considered flops in the box office, um, I've seen and I, I always enjoy it. I always like him as an actor too. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's shot really well. Some of the angles, like that angle where he's falling, he's sleeping, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's like standing over him, and with the lighting and like the lightning and stuff going off with that, that's just like an extremely effective shot. And the whole hobbling scene, too, like, you see the setup, you see her grab the sledgehammer, she swings it, he screams, they, like, zoom way back, and you see the foot bend over the piece of wood for, like, a second, and they cut away, and you don't see the second hit, mm-hmm. It's you, but you can imagine it, and I feel like things like that are always more effective than like gratuitous shots, you know, cause if this was made in the two thousands, they would have zoomed right in on that. Yeah. And you would have saw like the entire thing and like blood spray and <laughs> right. everything. Yeah. It would have been way overdone, way overproduced. But, um, this one had the, it was done by a, a professional director that knew exactly what he was doing. So, um, I think that really helps the film as well. But yeah, an easy five out of five for me too. And I think it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations. Rock. I've definitely seen some of the worst ones. And um, yeah, I would say this is one of the best ones. Did you read the book? No, I have not. I did have a copy of it. I got it at a, um, a thrift store, but I sold it. It was more like a, oh, this is an early edition of this book. So I'm going to buy it and then sell it. Have you read the book? Dude, I don't read anything. 
<laughs> it's gonna say and it's like i know you don't read too often i haven't even read the i i had i took it on vacation with me but i didn't even get into the uh you found me the novelization of air force one <laughs> yes and i haven't gotten into that yet so. <laughs> that was really more of a joke don't feel like you have to read that but you do have to read the disaster artist when i get that to you <laughs> nice yeah i want to read that one no i was i mean like i generally uh genuinely took it with me because i'm i am interested you know i i do really like that movie and so i thought it'd be a good read but i don't know i just i don't know but books are good man i just <laughs> am more of a movie person so no i get it but yeah, we're going to be continuing on next week with more of Stephen King month. Um, funny, we're going to be doing back-to-back -back Rob Reiner adaptations. Um, we're doing the aforementioned Stand By Me, which is another classic and another one that I consider one of the best um, King adaptations. So um, I know you've seen that before. We've talked about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be fun to watch that one again it's been a little while since i've seen it a couple of years i think mm -hmm. yeah if you guys are liking the show um please subscribe uh leave us a review follow us on all of our social media platforms check out our youtube there is more content on there we got some more stuff on tiktok as well um it's been a while for both of those platforms but there should be enough to entertain you for a while but come by next week. We're going to be talking about Stand By Me. And until then, as always, be kind and rewind. <laughs>